From Raise Your Hand, Texas, I'm Libby Cohen, and you're listening to Intersect Ed, where the stories of public education policy and practice meet. Here we are at the end of summer with a new school year about to begin. But while students may be just now gearing up to get back to their studies after a break, many educators here in Texas have already been unusually hard at work for summer months. Why? Because one of the regular legislative session's biggest bright spots was lawmakers' decision to let about $15 billion of federal COVID relief funds intended for Texas schools to in fact make it all the way to school districts. And educators are determined to make the best possible use of those dollars to help students cope with and recover from all the challenges of the last year and a half. We're going to spend more time on this podcast in the coming months diving into how things are playing out with these federal dollars. But first, we're going to remind ourselves how we got here, because it wasn't a given. Indeed, today's story is an advocacy story. And as the director of advocacy here at Raise Your Hand, I'm going to stay on the mic past the introduction for this episode and walk us through it. Shall we? At the start of the 87th legislative session, I think it's fair to say that the theme of any conversation about school finance was uncertainty. Would legislators protect education funding increases they'd committed to in 2019, even in the face of potential COVID budget woes? Would schools that saw pandemic-related attendance declines continue to be funded at their budgeted levels or face mid-year cuts? And what would happen with billions of federal relief dollars, both those that were already on the table and those that were rumored to be on the way? Bob Papinski, Raise Your Hands Director of Policy, is here with more. Right. There's a lot of buildup for multiple reasons. The hold harmless was unknown. But then we also received $5.5 billion from the second round of stimulus. And then we had the comptroller come in the day before the legislative session and actually say, well, the economy is actually getting a little better. But we received better news almost that following week when both the Senate and the House released their initial budgets, which said we are not cutting public education, all of the programs related to House Bill 3 at all. We're keeping that whole. And that was good news for public education. But schools didn't know two things. They didn't know what was going to happen to the hold harmless for the current school year. And they didn't know when the $5.5 billion from the second round of federal stimulus was actually going to flow to them so they could start planning and using it for learning loss. And of course, all that school finance uncertainty was nestled in this larger uncertainty about how to go about convening a legislature in the midst of a pandemic. This has been the most unusual legislative sessions. How do you hold hearings? How do you get public input for all of these pieces of legislation that are moving through the process? There was only one entrance that you could go into the Capitol, and you had to go through COVID-19 testing. And then once you got in there, it wasn't as full as it normally is. Having access to staffers and members got a little tougher than most legislative sessions. And so that added an entirely different dynamic at the beginning of the session than I've seen during the last 10 legislative sessions that I've been through. Nevertheless, by late January, the vibe in our office was that things were not going to resolve themselves in the worst possible way. 
that at least it wouldn't be a repeat of the 2011 session when billions of dollars were cut from the foundation school program. The House and Senate initial budgets, as Bob mentioned, kept existing education funding intact. Something, by the way, Raise Your Hand had pressed candidates on repeatedly during our For the Future candidate forums, so tip of the hat to those of you who participated in any of those. So we, like a lot of other education advocates, shifted our focus to this idea Bob just mentioned of holding schools harmless for attendance declines so that they wouldn't have to cope with budget cuts right in the middle of the school year. Legislators were making these really concerning remarks during hearings about schools losing kids. So we, on our end, tried to do more lifting up of different stories, of stories about just how hard districts were working to find and maintain relationships with students and families, including right here on this podcast. And then, in mid-February, the winter storm hit. How could any of us forget? And that overshadowed every story. It derailed every conversation in the legislature except what Texas was going to do about the future of its utility grid. For schools, it was yet another gut punch in a year of getting pummeled. Natalia Rambach, a principal in Pflugerville ISD, remembers what it was like to learn about the damage on her campus. I got a call that thing Thursday and uh, saying, hey, uh, there was damage. We don't know what the damage was, but there was some damage to Ruth Barron. So I thought, eh, we're not even 10 years old. That's, that's not going to be us. It's going to be like three carpet squares, and they have to tell us, blah, blah, blah. Friday, I get a frantic call saying, oh, my goodness, Ruth Barron was the worst damage in the district. And I'm in Pflugerville ISD, which has 21 elementaries alone. I, I can't tell you offhand how many total schools we have. But in an urban district, a newer school, I had over $400,000 of water damage alone, just water damage. That does not encompass curricular materials that were destroyed and we're currently collecting like, because we only got to go in one day for an hour to get our stuff. So we told teachers not to worry about accounting for this or this or this. We just needed to make sure that they could get the things that they needed to teach virtually. So now, when we go back, we're going to go back with different eyes because I know that there were personal effects that were damaged, you know, and, and it, it, it's a, a line that we, we, we draw as teachers like, OK, do we bring personal things from home um, and, and feel connected and be able to share that? Or do we allow the possibility of what happened to um, diminish perhaps the impact of the connection we have? And of course, storm damage meant even more budget uncertainty. For those schools that were damaged, there was an additional stress put on budgets. All of this concern about how we're going to afford remote instruction and all of the needs of COVID-19, and then piled on top of that is all of the damages and issues related to the winter storm. There's no way around it. It's a tough picture at the end of February. We have a legislature that seems to have its hands full with issues that are not public education, even though schools are in crisis mode. Here's Natalia again, explaining at the time what she wanted legislators to know as they made decisions about school funding. There are a lot of things I want them to know. I'm, I'm trying to think through how I want to say that. 
I want them to know that not every community in Texas is the same. I want them to know that a true understanding of poverty needs to be considered and assessed when making decisions. I think that grace is something that is needed in a multitude of ways. You know, most of the time you think grace with the state of Texas and you think testing. I think grace and funding. Um, we did a big push for Hold Harmless and I hope that we are able to maintain the level of quality and service that we can give to our children. Because I feel we work on a skeleton crew already. And if funding is cut, you will exacerbate a very difficult situation that I feel is like built on a house of cards right now. And, and we made gains in the last legislative session. I think that it would make us go backward if we were not able to at least maintain that or, or make some real considerations about how we're gonna move forward. Because the reality is now as, as a state, no matter where you look in the state, there are deficits. February finally passed, and March brought some much-needed good news on a couple of different fronts. In the first week of March, the hold harmless, this question around whether or not districts would be able to maintain expected levels of funding, was extended for the rest of the school year. That was a win. Then, we saw movement at the federal level. Congress passed the American Rescue Plan, the largest coronavirus relief package yet. It included a lot of money for school districts across the country, and the allocation for Texas was a big number. $12.4 billion, of which a little over $11 billion was actually due to school districts that could be used over four years to support students' academic and emotional recovery. To put that number in perspective, that's about four times the annual school funding increase that HB3 delivered in 2019, all due to arrive at the state at one time via one piece of federal legislation. Dr. Granita Lathan, who was the interim superintendent of Houston ISD during the past school year, explains more about why schools needed that funding relief. It's going to take a major investment. We, we're looking at uh, our calendar for the upcoming school year, looking at that differently by trying to add additional days, which means that's additional contracted days for our teachers and other employees which will mean that we will need additional funding. And so we are looking at that. And I'm, I'm, I'm very hopeful that our elected officials understand that it's not just business as usual, that we, school districts will need additional funding to support our students, but also to be able to pay our staff members who have just done a tremendous job this year of trying to educate students, like I said, in a virtual environment and a face-to-face -face environment. At this point, you might think the situation is pretty straightforward. Schools desperately need additional resources, both immediately and in the future, to cope with the impact of the pandemic. The federal government has written Texas public schools two massive checks, $5.5 billion in December and $12.4 billion in March. All Texas needed to do was cash the check and send the money on to schools, right? But with each passing day and week, as winter turned to spring, we realized that Texas lawmakers weren't sure they wanted to cash the check. Or they wanted to cash it, but they weren't sure they wanted to pass all the money along to schools. 
or they wanted to pass money along to schools, but they wanted to attach lots of strings to the way that schools spent it. Or maybe the check was just too complicated to cash. So the federal money, that money Texas schools really needed, was stuck. In part because of the stories being told in the Capitol. Stories about districts losing students, districts unable to responsibly manage such an influx of cash. Stories about how the feds had structured this money in such a confusing way that it was going to be impossible to sort out during the legislative session. So at Raise Your Hand, we realized we needed to refocus lawmakers on a different story. The story of what they should be doing to protect school funding in the midst of a pandemic. To do that, we used a prop, a three-legged stool representing our school funding needs. The three legs of the stool included protecting House Bill 3, extending attendance hold harmless provisions, and finally, flowing federal stimulus dollars to education. Lawmakers needed to do all three to ensure a stable Texas recovery. Here's the thing about advocacy, though. You can't just offer your story to the universe and hope that legislators will pick up on it during the course of a legislative session. You have to push your story into headlines, into news feeds, into sightlines, into whatever will get the attention of a group of people who have a lot of information coming at them all the time. We did that with the three-legged stool story beginning on April 6th, three-legged stool for school funding day at the Texas Capitol. The day had several different elements. First, there were lots and lots of tiny, unassembled three-legged stools. Legislators all received a kit with a tiny stool and a set of instructions, helping them understand that it was their job to assemble the three-legged stool of school funding. The second element was one giant three-legged stool, which we installed in a central area in the Capitol basement. Finally, we centered the most important group of people in this story, students, in a video and photo series, and we brought them to the Capitol steps to tell their stories through dance and music and poetry. The pandemic has illuminated inequalities. Students without Wi-Fi access at their homes do work face disadvantages. Funding can help schools provide better technology and resources to help bridge this gap and provide the even playing field that public schools were created to provide. That very day, the budget was being laid out on the Senate floor, and during the debate, Senator Royce West of Dallas referenced our actions in the Capitol. Unless you're just giving money directly to students, I don't know how you do that, but... You hear all the clapping outside? Those are students saying, give it to us. The House Republican Caucus reviewed our miniature stools in their own caucus meeting the next morning to help members understand the issue of school funding. And we got some decent news coverage. With the Capitol as a backdrop, Austin ISD fine arts students proudly showed off their education. Surrounding them are stools, signifying three demands for lawmakers to prop up public schools. Maintain funding set in 2019, hold schools harmless from pandemic enrollment drops, and send $17 billion in federal funds to schools. Money being held up as lawmakers decide when and how to allocate it. Our story had gotten some traction, but we knew that for it to really catch fire, we couldn't just keep it in Austin. We had to take the story of the three-legged stool to the rest of the state and let other people pitch in to telling it. And that was how a giant six-foot three-legged stool began a road trip around the state of Texas 
that would take it to Katy outside of Houston, up to Longview and Van in East Texas, over to the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, down to San Antonio and the Rio Grande Valley, and up through the Permian Basin, and finally all the way up to Amarillo. During one stop of the tour, Ector County ISD Superintendent Scott Murray talked about the importance and necessity of a solid school funding stool to the state. Our kids are telling us that they need their school district to welcome them with open arms uh, as we begin school again in August, but do so thoughtfully, recognizing that many of our children, because of the pandemic, are dealing with anxiety, uh, dealing with social and emotional issues that none of us may be able to fathom. And all of this requires a significant investment in the education of our children and their well-being. The story picked up momentum that translated into legislative additions that would find their way into the House version of the budget. So we put out our first call to action of the legislative session on House Budget Night, when the budget is debated on the House floor. A call to action is when we ask thousands of people all across the state to reach out to their lawmakers with a specific message. Bob, can you tell us what happened next? Absolutely. And there were a handful of riders that were in play. Riders are basically language that are attached onto a budget that says how the state can spend this money. Representative Morrison already had a rider attached from the House Appropriations Committee that said you couldn't supplant money. Remember, school districts were concerned that something similar was going to happen with the $5.5 billion and the $12.4 billion that had already happened with the first round of federal stimulus. They didn't want the money to flow out to schools and then be taken back in the same exact amount. And so Representative Morrison's rider in the House version of the state budget said you, you couldn't supplant plant funds. There was also tighter restrictions added on by a few more amendments during the House floor debate. We are talking about the appropriated money that has been coming in from the COVID-19 relief. This includes a lot of money from the American Rescue Plan Act, the CARES Act, the Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief, the ESSER 1, 2, or 3 Acts. The intent of this language is to give local school boards control over what is best for their schools in terms of learning loss, social emotional needs, and other COVID-19 related issues, which is what the money is being sent to Texas for and should be distributed accordingly. Bob, again, as someone who's observed a number of legislative sessions, what did the fact that there were these multiple amendments and writers looking to strengthen what was going to happen around these federal dollars tell you about the political state of this money? Number one, it means the advocacy worked and the message was heard across the state. Number two, I think school districts actually got to their members and said, look, we actually have some issues in our school districts that we need to stem the learning loss. We need to provide social emotional programs for our kids. And of course, after House Bill 3, I think the members understood the importance of this. And I think that was the swell you saw on the House floor that night. The question occurs on passage the third reading of SB 1. All in favor say aye. Aye. All opposed say nay. The ayes have it, and SB1 is passed to third reading. On April 22nd, the night of the House floor budget debate, every single writer or amendment about the federal education dollars passed. It's a big win. It's a big night for education advocates. And sure enough, the following week, on April 28th, 
The dam finally broke. We heard from the big three, the governor, the lieutenant governor, and the speaker, that they would cash the biggest check and that Texas would be flowing $11.2 billion, the entire district allocation from the American Rescue Plan, to school districts, and that it would be available pretty quickly. This was a huge moment for educators all across the state. It meant that districts could get to work planning the supports and interventions that would help students recover after more than a year of pandemic learning. But we weren't quite done. There were still some dollars left on the table. Questions remained about that other check, the one for $5.5 billion, included in coronavirus relief legislation Congress passed in December of 2020. Because we know that every cent counts when it comes to our students and their recovery, educators continue to speak up and say, what about the rest? Here's Superintendent Murray again. We have plans for those dollars as well. Our students need that money locally. And so we would ask our governor, our lieutenant governor, and members of the House and the Senate that they consider uh, the funds that are available, those federal funds in ESSER II, and that they also release those dollars so that we locally can use the, that money to invest in the students, the 32,000 students that we serve in ECISD and throughout the Permian Basin. A big dramatic moment like House Budget Night or a joint statement from the Big Three never came for that second check. But... A few days after Sine Die, the last day of the legislative session, TEA finally announced that just about all of it would in fact find its way to school districts without restrictions or strings. That's huge, about $15 billion huge, and a real source of hope for our students, our teachers, and our administrators. So here's where I want to land this conversation. Memories are short, and in the coming months, decision makers who wrung their hands about sending schools too much money will be celebrating this influx of cash. Or policy wonks will say this was all inevitable, that this set of federal guidelines or that rule about maintenance of equity made the flowing of these dollars unavoidable for the state. What you should know is this. In politics, nothing is given and causality is complex. It's almost impossible to pinpoint one person or rule or even three-legged stool as the reason something happens in the legislature. If you were one of the thousands of people who got involved in advocating for these billions of dollars to reach our schools, your actions mattered. You helped to change the political environment and shift the decision-making calculus for the House and the Senate and state leaders. In a session full of bruising moments, this was a bright spot. This was a win for Texas kids. So as we reflect on the 87th legislative session and begin a new school year, from all of us at Raise Your Hand Texas, congratulations. Thank you. Let's keep going. Thank you for listening to Intersect Ed. This episode was narrated by me, Libby Cohen, and Bob Papinski. Our sound engineer was Brian Diggs, and our executive producer was Laura Millette. To learn more about Raise Your Hand Texas and get involved in our work, visit raiseyourhandtexas.org.